All right, TJ, here's the situation. Uh, you've heard of poetry in motion. Yep. But I'm going to ask you to describe poetry in some other context. Okay. Uh, we'll come back to that one at the end. All right. Uh, I'm TJ Jagodowski. I'm Rush Howell. And this is Here's the Situation, a real podcast about hypothetical situations. And this week's uh, theme is Edger Album Poem. So uh, so you might have stuff about albums, might have stuff about poems, might have stuff about Edgers, might have stuff about uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And indeed, Rush, I will hit you with this first one based off uh, of Edgar Allan Poe, if you don't mind. I will. Uh, I, I, will... I like how we, we often start with the, the <laughs> thing that we have theoretically deconstructed and we immediately reconstruct. Right back. Yes, right. Exactly. Um, hey, here's a, a thing from from watching a lot of cooking shows. Don't if you ever on one rush. Don't ever try and do a deconstructed version of anything. It never, okay. it never, ever, ever works, and it never wins. I saw. I, I I don't disagree with you, but I will give you the exception that proves the rule, which I always wanted to eat more than probably anything I ever saw on one of those. There was like a famous, uh, I don't know, uh, a season I thought was great of Top Chef. Uh huh. And in that, where were they? What city? I believe they were in Baltimore, but I could be wrong about that. Okay, they might have been in New Orleans, or I, I don't know. But but the reason I think Baltimore is, is one of the chefs maybe had a big restaurant there. It was the Voltaggio Brothers. Yep, yep. Uh, and then Kevin Gillespie, and uh, there was somebody else who was really good too, a uh, female chef that was like really good with fish. But like almost everything that Gillespie did looked great. But Michael Voltaggio busted out like a deconstructed buffalo chicken sandwich, <laughs> and <laughs> it, it, it looks so good. And then it was like a way to, you know, just pass off a buffalo chicken sandwich. Yeah, I was gonna say, how do you deconstruct that sandwich? You just put the you put the bread to the side and then you leave buffalo sauce and not on the chicken? Yeah, it was like a hot sauce <laughs> and then it was a different thing. It was like a little like uh, a piece of chicken cooked in a fancy way and then like the bread was done as like uh I don't know. So, I mean it was all like very fancy, but then you just looked at it and you could tell right away it's like that's just buffalo chicken sandwich. <laughs> I was, yeah. And that, Delicious. I mean, halfway to deconstructing a sandwich is just serving an open face. The rest is just not not assembling the sandwich in the first place. I guess. Like, I have, right. I have a bunch of deconstructed sandwiches in my fridge right now. There, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even reconstruct. I just I just eat deconstructed sandwiches left and right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, Rush. Well, let's get into it. Here's the situation: You are hired by a big time book publishing company as an assistant book titler. They explain they have a bunch of partial titles that they really like, but aren't sure which of their authors they want to give the writing assignment to. So they want you to complete the title in a couple of different ways, and then they'll decide who to give the book to so they can actually write it. And I think, as as usual, and for the next couple of weeks, I, I will probably say this quite a bit, it'll become more clear as we uh, as we go through it. So that's... Okay. I, I don't know if that's my way out of writing a, a, a coherent uh, situation or if that's just uh, my way of keeping the descriptions brief so we can actually get into it. But here's what I'm going to give you, Rush, is the partial title and then basically their two kind of writers they want to give it to. And I want you to complete the title in one way for one writer and in a different way for the other writer. So here we go. They know they want to do the woman and something. And they want to give it to, they want to see what, what title you would give if they were going to give it to their, to their writer that's most like Edgar Allan Poe and the one that's most like Dr. Seuss. 
So the woman and something for their Poe and the woman and something for their Dr. Seuss. Does that, does that make sense? Um, I think so. So I'm, I'm giving you a title yep. that would be, a, it, it would sound like an Edgar Allan Poe book, it, The Woman in the Blank. Yep. And another one that's uh, the same thing, but for Dr. Seuss. Correct. And and just because it's a blank doesn't mean it can be, it needs to be one word. You can fill that blank with as long as, as long as many words as you want. Um, okay. So Edgar Allan Poe, it would mm-hmm. be like, uh, it's woman and, or woman. Yep. The woman and, yep. Um, I mean, for Edgar Allan Poe, it's like the woman and the, and the crow or okay. like the woman in the inside of the coffin. Okay. Great. Um, <laughs> for Dr. Seuss, I mean, my goodness, uh, it'll be like, um, uh, the woman in the wiggly wobbly wedding. Okay, great. They're getting into the Seuss. I like that. I like that one. Okay. That, that, that. All right. The next title is the heart won't whatever and again they're going to shop it to the poe guy or their mary higgins clark who is uh oh, like a romance novelist so the the heart won't for poe and the heart won't for their mary higgins clark type okay uh for poe it's going to be the heart won't uh well for mary higgins clark it's going to be the heart won't quit okay great um but for Edgar Allan Poe, it's going to be uh, the heart won't tell the story. Okay. It almost sounds like we could flip those, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're basically they're two, two sides of the same point. Right, right. Because I, I think Poe wrote a story, too, about the heart that wouldn't quit. It wouldn't quit beating, at least. Um, yeah, and it was called the Telltale Heart. So it was the heart that quit telling the story. All right. This one's now The Blank Pony. And they're going to shop it to their Larry McMurtry, uh, who you know who writes westerns, and they're also going to shop it to their Richard Scarry, who does children's books. So it's the the what pony for Larry McMurtry and for Richard Scarry. Uh, Richard Scarry's got the phony baloney pony. Okay. <laughs> and the PBP uh, when when that hits the mass market, that's the PBP, the phony baloney pony. Yeah. Yeah, Phony Baloney Pony. Larry McMurtry's got, uh, you know, um, the, I don't, I mean, I want to say lonesome, but I can't. Uh, so it's going to be. You can say it. You can say it. I'm going to say, like, the Stoic Pony. Okay. A Stoic Pony. Great. Now, this next one, Rush, they know they want to use the word bloody. They, they just, they're, they're like, they're dead set on bloody, but they also know they want it to be a children's book. Okay. And, and so you can, you can build on either side, forward, back. You just have to have bloody in there, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be good for kids. Okay. And I have two authors or no? Nope. Just any, any children's book. They'll, once they get the title there, they'll, they'll shop it out. Uh, I, okay, the title is going to be Muddy, Bloody, Sloppy Bobby and the Rowdy, <laughs> Happy, Good Time Gang. <laughs> I 
insane, huh? I didn't think you'd be able to pull that one off. And you did it with absolute flying colors. That's that, that's that's a hit. They're sitting they're sitting on a blockbuster right there. All right. This is grandma's grandma's blank or grandma's something. They they need a thriller. They're in the market for a thriller. So they want like a Tom Clancy type thriller and then maybe a Dan Brown kind of thriller. But it's grandma's what? So it's like grandma's codex. Okay. Is, uh, <laughs> um, and then the other one is going to be. Um, grandma's code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like grandma's code, grandma's codex. I was going to say like uh, grandma's blunderbuss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, the next one is I told Satan to. And then it's something. So I told Satan to something. And and so here's what they need. They need two things. They need you to finish the title, but they also need you to tell us whose biography that's going to be. So they they're they're definitely going to write a biography. And they know they said that I want to. I I told Satan too. So finish the title and tell us whose biography that is. I could see I could see this actually being, and and, and I, I mean I love this guy in R.I.P. So I, I don't mean any offense. I could just see this being his kind of style of humor. Is I could say I told Satan to take a reservation, Anthony Bourdain. Okay. Oh, nice, nice. That's you great. Know, like, like, hey, I'm I'm going to hell, but I'm yeah. gonna enjoy it along the way. Yeah. And, you know, I could just see him doing that. And that and that whatever whatever restaurant he's working in is also so in demand that even Satan has to make reservations. Oh, I you like know? That. Yeah. I, um, all right. Yeah, so this next I meant one. It the other way, but I like that. <laughs> I, I'm just super cocky. Like, right. Even you, Satan. Hey, yeah. Even even God makes reservations here. So it's um this next one is blank brunch, something brunch, and they want to shop it to their Stephen King type, but they also want to see if they could pull off maybe a Fifty Shades of Grey type. So it's uh kind of a horror, but also just like kind of you know sexy good times. Blank uh, something brunch. Okay. Oh, bit of a tough one, but uh, I think it could be. Forbidden brunch. Okay, and and that uh, that again feels like that could work for either. That that forbidden brunch sounds pretty sexy. Fifty Shades of Grey is the forbidden great forbidden brunch. Um, and um, with with Stephen King, it'll be like you know, um, maybe I think it'll be some weird like you know. Daisy's brunch, and then like okay. it turns out Daisy is a, 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 a character who everybody likes at the start, but it turns out she's got a real dark side. She's eating she's people. people she's eating yeah. people in between breakfast and lunch. Well, she's serving people. <laughs> okay, like, very nice. You know, they're, they're they're in the how how why is her grits you know so good <laughs> so and creamy? They're true grits. <laughs> and, and the last one, Rush. It's the Rush Howell autobiography title. But it's only from here forward. So it's nothing you've done in life so far. It's your best guess as to what an autobiography would be just from here to to the future. Uh, four great years and then a terrible snake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great. Great start. Right. They, they want you to write that one, oddly enough. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Just a great ride. And then uh, <laughs> something's going to go down. Uh, so this one, TJ, um, I, I mis- misunderstood, which is 
entirely my fault because you texted it to me. It wasn't you didn't say it. You didn't say Edgar album poem to me. You texted it and it said Edger album poem, but I thought I nonetheless just read it, you know, and thought it was Edgar album poem. Of course. So Edgar is a database that you may or may not be familiar with. I am probably not. aren't. But mm. uh, Edgar's a database whereby you can pull SEC filings. Okay. And so okay. companies have to file. Companies that are uh, public companies are required to file all sorts of public filings. You may have heard of, uh, you know, 8Ks or whatever, uh, where they make public filings such that all of their investors, uh, and, and usually those are just, you know, common shareholders, can read information about the company, including okay. the financial statements and so forth and so on. And so Edgar is one of these databases. Um, is it an and, acronym, Rush? Yes. Okay. And that's going to be important here. Oh, okay. So uh, it's one of these many kind of databases that have been created over time, um, whereby uh, they, they do like a, an over-the-top effort to turn an acronym into like somebody's name. For okay. Some so it is the Electronic Data Gathering Analysis and Retrieval System. That's the Edgar with uh, with the SEC. So, he, so here's another example would be um, Pagoda, which is a, a very like fancy baseball uh, system that was put in place by the baseball prospectus to predict the amount of wins uh, that, that all teams would have. And each player was given a Pagoda player value and the P-E-C-O-T-A stands for something, but it was named after, you know, ironically, Bill Pacota, who was a very mediocre uh, baseball oh, player, um, like very average player. And this, this system is designed to uh, show you how much better you are than average. So it was like, hey, we got a perfectly average guy. That's how we'll do it. It's almost like a Mendoza line. Yes. Yeah. Uh, although the Mendoza line, of course, pretty, even worse. Pretty low. Than, yeah. Than where you're at for Pacota. <laughs> so uh, here's the situation. You are hired by a bunch of companies who need to put together databases okay. that are going to help out people searching. And they're like, they got to come up with a name for them. And so I'm going to need you to not only come up with a name, <laughs> oh, no. but to generate some bullshit acronym for how you get to that name. <laughs> no. And it doesn't matter how bad it is because these things, for the most part, are terrible. But um, they're going to hire you, bring you in, and try to come up with a few uh, Edgars of your own. Does that okay. make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. Okay. The first one is a food recipe database. Okay. So they want you to uh, come up with a name uh, for that uh, food recipe database and then try to just, as long as it, you know, halfway kind of makes sense, we throw together an acronym around it. Okay. Um, All right. This is the, uh, this is the, uh, Tip, tip top, they call it. Oh. Preparation. Total. Uh, the, 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 the OP is kind of added on just to complete the acronym. It's, it's, okay. cause it, they, they could call it the tip T, but it doesn't, it doesn't see. So they, it's basically like gives you the overall ease as to how, how easy a, um, a recipe is as to how tough a recipe is. So it's okay. a, it's, it puts it on a scale. So it's the total ingredient and preparation time. Nice, so nice. it'll be like, well, it's a five ingredient, half an hour thing. You're like, that's pretty easy on the, on the, on the tip top, you know, on the tip top scale. Uh, but if it's like, oh, that's 13, 
you know, 31 ingredients and it takes seven hours, that's like way at the other end of the tip top, tip top scale. So total ingredient preparation time. Um, and you know, we will say of product. So there you will complete the, the, Perfect. the tip there top is. there. Tip top. Uh, yeah, that's bad. I had child going for Julia child. Okay. And, uh, but my acronym made no sense. So it was uh, <laughs> I... cooking helper, including lessons on desserts. Oh, <laughs> that's, I, I forgot this should be someone's name. I'll, I'll do better on, on this next one. No, that's all right. I'll I'm, do I'm, better. Just, I'm doing them at the same time. You do. Uh, okay. I I'll force myself to do this. It seems only fair. Um, uh, all right. Next up. Um, what about uh, a, a search engine for that's fixated on pop culture? Uh, search engine that will help you okay. find uh, pop culture related issues uh, more easily than Google. Don't know okay. how. Don't know how that'll work, but um, pop culture issues. Okay, I got it. All right, it's, what do you got? It's uh, it's named the Shore after Polly Shore. Okay, and it's the Shore hits or recent embarrassments. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Sure hits or recent embarrassments. Yeah, I was busy trying to put one together for uh, uh, Pat O'Brien, uh, <laughs> like Access Hollywood. Oh, okay, and, gotcha. Because uh, because Pop uh, started with a P, and then I felt like he's he's all around there. Uh, Mario, uh, the Lopez or the Mario would be good. Yeah, I feel like uh, yeah, absolutely. But that's great. Absolutely. Uh, Even sure. if you made one that was like Bell, and so you're like the you're you're finding out if you were saved by the Bell chart, you know, like that would be that'd be a pretty good one too. Yeah, that's totally poppy. Okay. Good stuff. The Pauly Shore. Uh, all right. Next up is um, uh, th- this one is uh, it's going to find you the perfect karaoke song. So karaoke. You, kinda, you plug in. Hey, th- these are some songs that I like, and, and I have been able to sing, and it helps you come up with a good one. Uh, from within, like a database of the songs available uh, at some place. So, um, okay, what could that possibly uh, be? Um, I don't love that. I'd like the, I like the. Oh, okay, and real talent. Okay. Um. I'm struggling over here. I'm trying to I'm trying to put an acronym together for croon. Uh, <laughs> and I started to choose randomly, and I, I don't think that's good anymore. Um, ease and real talent. Okay. Um, okay, so I got like, it. Who would be like the best karaoke singer? So here's a lot of people want to, especially women, want to go out there and Anne or Nancy Wilson it, but they cannot pull off heart. It is very difficult yeah. to pull off heart. So this is the um, it's the hearing ease and real talent so that you have to have. So there's ones that are like, oh, this is this is kind of an easy song. You can get away with like Black Betty uh, Ram Jam's Black Betty without really like having to perform it. So you don't that's very low on the real talent. Um, right. it's, it's pretty easy on an audience too to hear it. But like if you go up and try and do Barracuda, that it's going to be very high on the hearing hearing ease and real talent scale. Got it. Yeah, if you're if you're higher on that RT section of it, yes, uh, you got to be very careful. All right. Um, this next one is a uh, it's a database that connects people 
with uh, with dogs to adopt. So it gives you like pictures across shelters all across the country, and you can go and take a look and uh, kind of window shop on on this database for dogs that you would mm-hmm. uh, like to get, and then they help you uh, uh, get over and adopt these dogs um, uh, more effectively. So. Um, what do you have there? Okay. Yes. Okay. Companionship. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm almost. I almost had a good one, but really, got defeated on the last letter. <laughs> I am. I, I am falling. <laughs> there's it's weird because when i look at these there are some things that just like pop right pop right into my head but they tend to pop into my head like for for whatever i'm trying to like fill it out for um, all right my, mine mine was almost there tj i was going with the snoopy oh very and nice the snoopy was surely nobody on our planet and then i thought you know there'd be something that i uh, can't could say no right but that doesn't make any sense so, but is there a way to get it to the yes then because uh, like is there a way to surely no one on our planet won't say yes uh i was working on the say the caesar for like uh you know like for the dog was what he's like the dog trainer Caesar oh, Milan yeah. or whatever the CES. It was a companionship. I was going to see if I could get away with spelling index with an e. The companionship index for uh, for something showmanship and relax relaxedness. And then I started work on the Purina, but like, God, there's just so many Ooh, so many yeah, exactly letters like there. And oh, you think like those extra letters are going to make it easier because you can kind of like wind your way there, but right? It, it becomes very difficult. You know what would be really tough is doing a rin tin tin and coming up with two different tins. That's right. Oh my God. But oh, what, how what about a great this? One if it was a rinse and tin. How about the real index of tenderness and tenacity? And you can, the, the real, real index, R I N, tenderness and tenacity. So it's the rin ten ten. All right. Uh, yeah, there you go. Rin ten ten. And that's where you go. Uh, you want a dog? Rin ten ten. Rin ten ten. All right. Last one for you. Yes. Um, this may be a little bit uh, inside here, but we're going to do it nonetheless. All right. And that is uh, improv database. Improv. If, if, if you anything about any improv teams, any uh-huh. improv improvisers all time, uh, what is that, uh, that, that database? Yeah, that's where I started. That's where I started too. <laughs> Good one, and I couldn't. I had notable something and horse horse players. Yeah, I was. I started. I was like. I was starting with like. It's because Noah's. You know, famously, famous cutting wit. It was like nastiest output. You know, something. Um, but uh, criticism heard after real nasty. Um, audience oh you got the charna yeah the criticism heard after real nasty audience um so that's like you you it, it logs the worst things heard like at the bar afterwards or you know oh, like wow. yeah 
Yeah, and so you want to not be, you want to basically not appear on the index. You know, yeah, like, but you need you need to like that would be a helpful thing, right? Like you go in and say, what are people really saying? Yep. About my performance, I mean, what what could be a tougher judge than the criticism heard? Yeah. After a real nasty audience, right? These are the people. This is what the people are saying. You know, and you and you have to assume like, oh, you know what they'll do? They'll give you amount of shows performed and then amount of comments on the board. So if you have someone's like 300 shows, zero of these comments on the board, then you know you're doing pretty good. If it's like four shows, 18 comments, that is awful, awful on the index. Yeah, God, tough, tough for a young improviser. Rough stuff. You gotta run into the nasty comments early. <laughs> you know, so. Tough stuff. All right, that's it for that one. Rush, I might do two. I might give you two back to back here. Let's, let's see. Let's see. Number two, this one's off of Poem. Um, so here's the situation, Rush. To anyone who says they don't like poetry, I would say you just haven't heard your poet yet. So for me, um, Shel Silverstein was my jam as a as a little kid. And then through high school, kind of moved into Robert Frost because he was like a New England guy. And we were, you know, studied him in, in class. And then I found Edna St. Vincent Millay and I really dug her. And now I kind of cherry pick sort of like nasty truth. Uh, poem, uh, poems or poets uh, like uh, Bukowski and um, there's this poem called Good Bones I would highly recommend to anybody I, I don't remember the the I think the woman the woman who wrote it um, and I know we talked a little bit one time about Rudyard Kipling's If that we had both had this period where If was you know kind of like on our radar so I just want you to take me through in any way shape or form just sort of a guided a guided little tour through Rush Howell's history of poems or poetry as advanced or as you know skimmy as that yeah. as that might be well it won't be it'll kind of start and end with this little green book uh i think of poetry um is very very much associated with my mother and her mother so my grandmother on my mom's side uh my my grandmother gave everybody like all of my cousins and probably like people she met on the street. <laughs> she gave this little green book that was like the 101 greatest poems. Ah, okay. And it was probably written in 1980 or it wasn't written, right? It was compiled. Yep. Probably in like 1980 or 1985 or something, but I got it uh, when I was young and we consistently, and I don't know if this is like a thing many families do or don't do, but we, we consistently had to memorize poems. And so really like oh, yeah. your dad, your dad, or your mom would say like, we're memorizing. Never my dad. Okay. Never, never once. But my mom would say, um, you have to memorize if, and you have to say it at your grandmother's Christmas party Whoa. or you have to memorize, you know, and it was, there was 101 poems in this book, TJ, and they, they lifetime hit about four of them. So they would just keep going to the same poems and all the cousins would rotate. It was if it was keep it going. Uh, it was, uh, what's the one Hiawatha, like by the shores of Gitche Gumi or whatever. The song of high, the song of Hiawatha, I believe. Song of Hiawatha. Uh, you know, and they had all the pictures of the poets in these little circles and, you know, they, they were all from like, forever ago there's some mark <laughs> twain in there what um, rush back up uh, two questions i want to ask you how did this book come into your grandmother's life and i'm not familiar with keep keep a rolling i've never heard i've never heard that what is what is that one keep it going oh keep it going it's, uh I, I i'll have to this is very 
my mom would be terrified to learn that I don't remember who wrote Keep a Going. Um, looks like maybe it's to Frank Levy Stanton. So okay. Frank L. Stanton that's uh, wrote it. And it's, uh, it's a very simple, short poem. And, and the message of it is like, uh, don't give up. Uh, okay. you know, when things get tough, uh, you, you got to persevere. And so it's like, if, if, if the fish ain't on your line, ain't no sense in quitting, trying bait your hook and keep it, keep it on diet and okay. try and keep it going. Something like that. <laughs> um, and I don't know how my grandmother got it, but she loved it, man. And, and, you know, my grandmother died last year and, and when she was, uh, I mean, she, all the women in her family lived like super long. I mean, she had her sister made it over a hundred. She was in her nineties. She has another sister still alive in her nineties. And uh, so, and she, she had a great, you know, great run, but in her last like year or two, she was pretty deep into uh, dementia and was just out Mm -hmm. of it, you know, for the most part. Uh, And like some people can do with songs and she could, she could still sing. Like she, she wouldn't know who I was or whatever. But then if you started a poem from that book, she'd just knock it out of the park. You know, those things, those things stuck with her. So I, so for me, poetry was like very, very much associated with that. And then, um, I did, I never like took poetry. Like seriously, I was an English major and I probably did just about every type of literature except really poetry in in college Uh, i was more you know i was into plays which obviously there's a certain degree of poetry within um and i used to write uh parody poems because we always had to do the other one that my mom does that is just inseparable from my mom is the night before christmas and she goes and uh performs that one basically uh and we have cousins are like i think i've said this before we have cousins that are storytellers and there's just like there's a big like kind of oral tradition, uh, you know, spoken word in my in my family and my mom's side. Um, and so, yeah, I would go and, and like, you know, I'd write some poem uh, that was that was, you know, the rhyme scheme of the night before Christmas <laughs> it was about my grandfather and grandmother and like go and perform that at the Christmas party or whatever. Um, but I never. uh I, you know, it just never kind of worked for me. So if I got that book, like I love a short story, I love a novel. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think I ever have like covered a, covered a, uh, a, a poetry book, except that one, 101 Grace Poems, which I probably did like, I don't know, probably read it cover to cover 10 times. And, you know, you would pick random ones and my, and my mom would do like, she would, that was a punishment sometimes too. You know, like, hey, I mean, I didn't really get, like, grounded because what was I going to do anyway? I lived in Atlanta. I didn't have a car. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but she would be like, you can't play video games you get until you recite uh, a new poem. And so I just got to go, like, learn a poem. And uh, I was pretty good at memorizing stuff so that you take up a, an evening and then, you know, next day you're back to playing RC Pro-Am or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, uh, like, E. Cummings to a mouse. You know, that's a, that's a, it's a nice little nice little thing to have in your back pocket if you ever need it. All right, thank you, Rush. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna hit you with another one, right, right on top. Uh, a very different one. Um, this one's based on Edger. Um, so here's the situation. I'm going to give you a range or a scale, and I'd like you to set the exact point or edge where things change for you. This will also become more clear as as we do it. So we'll just get into it. The first one is comfortable living room temperature to too cold 
in the living room. What is the exact edge where that where that happens? Great question. It has changed for me. Mm-hmm. It's changed you. for me, and I'm embarrassed to say it. I, I think it's got to do something. Got to be something with me getting old or whatever. But uh, I, I, I like right now. It's like sixty sixty eight. Okay. I so I'm you. probably happy at 68 and I'm not happy now at 67. All right. It used to be, I was like 62. Right. I know. I know. I loved it. Cole. Old people now, love it hot, man. And you're not old, but you're, you will be someday and you're moving in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I am, uh, I am not thrilled with this, with this development. Yeah. I, I will, I will <laughs> admit like the other day I was like, my, my living room is too cold now. Maybe just to be fair, it was negative 30 outside the wind chill. So maybe, you know, it was a little bit of that was seeping in. Uh-huh. But I was like, this is this is crazy <laughs> cold in here. And it was 65. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, 65, 65 is definitely cold for me now. But I, 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 I'd much rather be warm than, than cold in general now at this point. Um, Rush, what's, what's, the, what's the moment or the, the minute or as close as you can to when all, all other things being just fine, traffic, weather, all that, that it's just too long in a car now on a road trip. Interesting. Cause that has gone the other way. Um, it depends. It depends. If I'm driving my car, uh, I did a, I drove to Atlanta, uh, I don't know, seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it was 10 hours and it was no problem. It was an enjoyable trip. Um, so if it's my car, it's got it's definitely over ten, so maybe like thirteen. Okay. And if, oh, it's, wow. if I'm if I'm in somebody else's car and I'm not driving, I think probably much shorter. It's probably probably something like you know, right at the seven thirty mark. Okay. Is uh, it's gone for too much? Uh, uh, I don't mind. I, you know, we've talked many times that I'm a fan of train travel. Yeah. And generally speaking, just being kind of out on the road, I don't I don't mind it. I kind of like it. I hear you. We've talked about this kind of a situation before. Rush, what's the exact number of dinner guests for the best shot at great lively conversation, but not so much that you're missing a bunch of stuff that's that's going on, that it doesn't start busting into smaller conversations that people aren't privy to? I've never thought about this, but, but just you asking that question makes me think I may have a new theory that's in the works because uh, I have been... I probably have been at more odd numbered dinners than, than, you know, than almost anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I am single. I am 43 years old. I had to check my watch to try to remember exactly how old I am. <laughs> 43. And I, and I don't, you know, pre pandemic, especially never like eat in, I don't cook for myself. So I go out to dinner, tons of dinners and I am the, you know, proverbial third wheel, fifth wheel, uh, a lot. And I kind of like the, that when you have an odd number dynamic. I think so too. I think you're much less danger of pairing of pairing off. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I almost, I almost think that like a perfect number, it kind of depends. It's maybe, maybe it's five. If people are like super tight with one another already. So it's like, all right, this is this group and you know, but it's 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 I, I was in between either seven or nine, and so I think I'm going to say seven. Yep. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, Rush. Uh, this is a, a, a topic close close to our hearts. 
Um, it used to be 64. Now it is 72, I believe. What is the exact right number of teams that should be playing games in the NCAA tournament? Uh, there's two play-in games now in each bracket. Um, who knows if you, you want more than that, if you want to get rid of those. What's the exact right number? Well, I, I think I think people would disagree with me on this. But I, I have grown up with friends that are coaches, still have friends that are coaches. And my personal view is that the NCAA tournament it is too punishing. It is too hard to get into. And the reason that I say that is not that, you know, teams for, you know, it, however many at large teams they take 38 or whatever it is. It's not the teams 40 through 50, you know, need to be in because they might win it, but it's because as an, as an NCAA coach and as an NCAA program, your season is kind of defined by whether or not you make the tournament. And back when there were only 50 decent college basketball programs. Fair enough. But here we are now. And and college basketball is is almost the opposite of college football, where, where the biggest criticism right now of college football is, Hey, yeah, whatever. Uh, It's same damn three teams every year. And it's really the same Alabama all the time, but also Clemson and Ohio state and, you know, Oklahoma and that's it. We're just not, it's you, you have to play off the beginning of every year. Basketball, on the other hand, with the advent of the of the really good players going pro, either you know after one year or, or straight right. from high school, has leveled the playing field. And so now sometimes you have these these smaller schools that don't have as, as high a talent, but they have more percentage of their people stay for four years, which allows the, these really you know good twenty two year olds. They're not as good as, as the nineteen year old, but they're older and they have more cohesion and everything. And so you, there's more good basketball teams. So I know I'm taking a long time to get to this answer. But my point is, even though from a fan's perspective, I think like 64 was great as it was. I don't think the play-in games are all that interesting and exciting. Right. Um, if, if my team's in the play-in game, I feel bad about that. I wish they weren't in the play-in game because if they lose in the play-in game, it doesn't feel like they were really in the tournament. And even in I the feel- brackets, you basically like get whoever. They can't be that important because you basically get whoever comes out of that that you don't right. have to pr- properly pick that game to pick against the team they'll be playing, right? You basically get the one one A like in horse racing if you want to yeah, pick them ex- moving forward. That's right, and that's a great point about that. Just really does show that we don't care that much now. That that is also a byproduct, and it was a very smart move. Of hey, we're not adding another wrinkle to where you have to get your NCAA bracket in on Monday after right. selection <laughs> Sunday, right? So that was smart how they did that. But, you know, as a fan, okay, fine. 64 was great. Don't mess with it. It was like, it was terrific. But my, I just am too biased because I feel like it's just really not fair because, you know, in, in college football, if, if you're graded by whether or not you make it to a bowl, um, then, then, you know, half the teams, over half the teams have a successful year. In college basketball, there's 345 teams or whatever, and only 64 making the team, uh, the tournament. I just think it's, I just think it's too tough. So, so I would like it to be, I would probably like it to be from like a fairness perspective, you know, uh, uh, probably bump all the way up to 96. But I understand that that, that you know, what won't happen and, and shouldn't from a fan's perspective. Uh, I, I don't know how you solve this problem that I'm laying out, but I just feel like, you know, you, you, you look at a program like NC State or something that fires a coach that goes to a, the tournament, 
you know, two years in a row and they like don't do that well in the tournament. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. This guy made the tournament. It's a hard, super hard <laughs> to make the tournament. So you would, were you, you would have four 2014 brackets. Is that what, is that what it would, it would be? Yeah. I would have all the one through eight seeds get a buy. Oh, okay. You would, gotcha. would have a massive uh, first round on, on that Tuesday, Wednesday. And, uh, you know, it'd be a big disadvantage for teams that are seated nine and lower, but you know, tough luck right you made it into the tournament but again i don't even think i would actually do that i'm just saying that would be that would address my concern about college basketball which again is an idiosyncratic concern less than one percent of the people are going to care about you know the livelihood of the coaches and everything but right. I, I just think it's it's a <laughs> tough racket yeah. one day once you know one it you know it becomes part of what you think about um how about this rush? And I think your interest in this sport is not all that great. How many games in a baseball season to keep your interest? Exactly. How many exact games? I'm sorry, in the baseball regular season to keep your interest. I would definitely rather it be less than the current 162. Uh, I will say I, I've, I've enjoyed, I kind of go as the Braves go really. You know, so now that the Braves are good again, I'm, I'm a little more interested in following the season. But um, I didn't mind it so much last year that it was like 50 or 60 right. games or whatever. It's just like, get this over <laughs> with and let's get to the playoffs. So I, I think I would prefer like a 125 game regular season. Okay. How about this, Rush? How many, how many possible channels on like a cable, uh, a cable system before you're just like, now this is too many channels. Like th this is more than I'm ever going to watch more than I, I even can keep track of. By the time I scroll through, I'm like, it. all the chan all the shows have changed. Now I have to go back through and figure out. So how many, what's the exact number of like, I'm not even trying to find, you know, see what's on all these channels now. I'd say 250. Okay. I, currently I probably have in the neighborhood of 400 to 440. And I, I they're just major swaths of the TV that I, I don't know what they are and I'm missing them. And, and there's probably good stuff that I would enjoy to watch, but I just don't even know. Okay. Like if you're like, Hey, the game's on TBS. I'm like, well, uh, all right. Yeah. I don't know within plus or minus a hundred where that channel is. So you're at, um, you're at like a, a breakfast, a breakfast buffet and you get down to the area where there's the English muffins and the toasters and stuff like that. What's the exact number of jellies that should be available to you? The, I'm um, sorry, different flavors of jellies that should be available. I would like there to be, I mean, you know, I'm not going to complain about more, but if you've got three jellies for me, that's that's great. Okay, we we want like a brown, a red, and and then an off or something like that, like a yeah. Hit me with. I'm a, sorry, a brown, a like a, a grape, a red, and a and a something else. Yeah, give me a, a exactly. Give me a if it if it's three, probably make it orange marmalade. Yeah, grape and strawberry. Yep, I hear you. I hear. You. All right, Rush. What is the exact age at where, um, regardless of health or fitness or sight or whatever? A driver's license should be just taken away from everyone who reaches this this age, regardless of how whatever health or eyesight you say you have. That's it. Too bad. No more license. Eighty. Okay. Um, what is the exact amount of physical sick days an average person actually needs in an average year? Uh, the the mean uh, would be. Uh, six. Okay. And last one, Rush. 
Um, and, and this could be more or less who, who, than we have right now. What is the right amount of states the U.S. should have so each has a distinct personality, allure, and feel to it? Don't you just feel like the U.S. is 50 states? I mean, it's just, it's so deeply ingrained in me from like forever that I just feel like 50 seems good. And yet both of our parents lived in lived in a u.s that had less than 50 right like uh yeah. um and we may you know who knows we may get up to 51 with dc or puerto rico at some point in our lives who knows right um, and i'd probably you know end up just kind of politically in favor of either one of those right I'll, I'll cast aside my desire to only have 50 but but i also uh, feel like we have some some redundant redundancies with like the dakotas or like i don't know if nebraska actually has any kind of personality to to it totally, like yeah does yeah. i think it does i'll stand up for nebraska i i can't say uh <laughs> south dakota north dakota i think that's fair i mean some I, people I, i'm from new england so i think they all have distinct really distinct personalities but i i know some people would say like vermont new hampshire what the hell is the difference between between those two you I, know I, like, I would i would definitely and again it's not that i i just don't know mm-hmm. that but i for me like nebraska versus oklahoma i i can much more easily make that distinction than i can new hampshire vermont I would, you know, the state that I always rag on besides Florida, which does have its own personality, that's for sure. But mm-hmm. I don't like Florida. Yep. Is, is Delaware, right? Like Delaware is just carved out into the middle of another state. Doesn't really need to be there. Um, you know, I, I can kind of do without that. But that, I, I think uh, I, I'm okay with, with there being with there being 50. I like it. Okay. And, and add no more. You, you think stand pat here. Yeah. All right. All right. That's it. All right, that was fun. That was good. Good ones. Good ones you came up with there. Um, all right, TJ. Uh, here's the situation. Yes. You are going to put together an album of your life. Okay. So it's like a mixtape, and all it's going to be is I want you to put in ten songs, and I'd like you to do them loosely chronologically, but feel free to go back and make a change and add one or subtract one but I want it to be 10 kind of meaningful or influential songs for you, uh, more or less uh, divided by, you know, about uh, three or four years or whatever, you know? So, um, so just that hit kind of different points in your life, starting with probably elementary school, but maybe if there's nothing there that, so I was thinking like elementary school, junior high, high school, college. I'll do my best. So in third grade, well, here's one that's that played for a long time. So, and and it was big in my family. There was this thing that you could buy at like the novelty store that was like from this guy named Zoom. His name was Zoom, and he lived on the moon, and he came down to Earth just to sing you this tune. And it was a happy birthday song. So, if it was like my dad's, be like Tommy. You're the big star today, you know, but it'd be like Maureen, you're the big star today. So it was the same song every time, just with that person's name, Todd, (laughs) you're the big star today. And it was this guy, Zoom, who lived on the moon and he, and he came down to earth just singing this tune. So that would have to be in there like a, um, with, if it's my album, it's with, with my name, but it would be Tommy. Cause I don't think it was advanced enough where they had like TJ and stuff. It was probably like okay. the 200 most po- you know, common boy and girl names or whatever. So zoom, zoom, who lives on the moon, uh, singing his happy birthday tune would have to be on there. Um, uh, I didn't expect that one. I'll start by yeah. That. And that, that, so that one plays over a, a long amount of time in my life as well. So the first song I can kind of remember, um, was for whatever reason, uh, third grade, someone had this, like, 
I was like, what is that? And they're like, this is a band. Like, what is it? What's that say? It's like, you're, you know, what's Blondie? And they're like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just lady. She sings. So it'd be Blondie's Heart of Glass would be would be on there. So I remember that song. Wow, two mentions in one podcast for Blondie's Heart of Glass, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then the next, the first, my folks would go to this place called Spags, which was out, um, out in Shrewsbury, Mass. And it was like a, almost like a kind of like a closeout Costco before there was such a thing. You could buy like a huge thing of toilet paper or like a puzzles. You know, it was also closeout. So you just get like a 300 piece puzzle for 99 cents or something like that. And they bought me uh, Billy Joel's Glass Houses, which was my first like kind of like grown up tape cassette album that I had. So I'm going to pick something off of there. We'll pick a kind of a lesser known Billy Joel tune called Sleeping with the Television on. So I'll do that. All one. right. Um, sleeping with the television on. Um, then my mom used to listen to a ton of AM, AM soft rock radio. So I'll have to pick something from there. Um, and I think I'm pretty sure this is bread. If not, it's America. But we'll pick the song a uh, a horse with no name. Okay. Um, been through. Yeah, I don't know if you know that. Been through the desert on a horse with no name. It felt good to be out of the rain. That there were two songs about about horses that really are from that time. Um, the horse with no name and a song called Wild Wildfire. She ran calling wildfire, but we'll go with the the more the more known name. Okay. So and, you were re- really into horses at that, at that stage. <laughs> they, they stick with my head. Um, yeah. yeah the the uh, the the ocean is a desert with its life underground. Right. The ocean is a desert with its life on no. The desert is an ocean with its life underground. It, interesting lyric. Uh, I think that was that was from Horse No Name. So next, Graceland, Paul Simon's Graceland. Next album, I knew top to bottom, inside, outside. Uh, let's go with Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes from from that from that album. So now we get into we're moving into kind of latter high school college time. My buddy Sean and I used to listen to a few different cassettes over and over and over again. Bob Marley's Legend, um, but one that sticks to my uh, sticks to my head is very very big for us was In Living Color. So we'll do Cult of Personality by In Living Ooh. Color. Okay. All right. Um, I remember that. That was yeah. sparking some memories. Uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear. It's a, I'm the cult of. I'm the cult of. All right. Seven. College. Oh, you too. Uh, no, I'm sorry. REM's Green. I listened to that. That's probably, probably the seminal one. There were some other ones in there that I'm not as proud of. Information Society. You two's Rattle and Hum. That's what made me think of it. it that was right around there too. But uh, REM's green typifies this first year of school for me. So I will go with song off that album called Hair Shirt. Um, kind of a. You know, you just made me think. So did you ever have, um, did you ever have like carpool as a kid when you went to high school? I always rode with my buddy Sean. So it was just he, it was, it was pretty much just he and I. Yeah. So I did carpool until like junior high or so. And then you would just have one kid who like my mom would, or my family would would pay some amount, you know, to pick us up. So somebody that was a uh, like a high schooler at my school would pick up, and um, uh, we had a guy who uh, would pick us up. We would we would not say a word. We would say hello, sit in there, and not say a word. And he played <laughs> the same album, uh, I think, every day. 
for like an entire year. But you know, I really by the end, I mean, I really liked that album. Um, but uh, and we had him for two years, and one of the years was was uh, Green. Is that I right? Thought about that in a while. Yeah, yeah it was it was REM's Green. It was in there. I mean, I'm not getting a hundred days in a row. We we listen. You'd get through three songs, and then and then the funny thing is, we would always get the same ones, right? Because he would drive home without us. <laughs> oh, whatever, yes. Whatever other like minor driving that he did, was right? Just enough. He'd cover the, the <laughs> album, and then you'd be right back in the song too. Yeah. Um, and so now we're on to kind of three great loves of my musical life. These cover larger periods of time. Those others were probably a little. Well, I don't know. I got up to what seven songs there. Yeah, those were probably three or four years apart, most of those, um, yep. with, with some overlap. But now these last three are going to have to take take me up to near 50. But they are three really hard-stamped um, uh, musical loves of my life. One, soul music. Um, and so I'll go with one of the biggest from that, from, that, uh, uh, from that group. It'll be Otis Redding, and we'll go with the song called Cigarettes and Coffee um, for the number eight song. The number nine song... Uh, this is the song I mentioned all the time by the guy I mentioned all the time. We'll go with Van Morrison's Madam George. Uh, Van Morrison was abiding, uh, abiding musical love of my life. And the last one is for, it's at least called on Sirius Satellite Radio, the first wave, but it's, um, kind of, it's not, it's not really, I mean, techno partially describes it, but it, it would have been like early talking heads, um, the English beat, um, the, um, Adam, you know, uh, Adam Ant, the echo and the bunny man, um, the cure, the, uh, the cult, the, um, the Smiths. And from that group, uh, my, my song, I think I mentioned this one time to you that I would always keep safe to, so I could listen to it all the time and never, ever get sick of it. It's a song called save it for later by the English beat, um, or in England, just the beat, but here the yep. English beat. So save it for later is my 10th is my 10th song rush. All right. Excellent. So of those 10, yes. If you were then to go and create, and instead you like did a survey of everybody that's exactly your age, that's from America. Yep. Um, which of your 10 would you think is most likely going to show up on the aggregate 10 of, uh, wow. if, if you kind of averaged out, you know, the, the the ones that got the most votes from everybody. Well, it's not the birthday song by Zoom. I no, I, I can tell you no. that. And I went with I, I I went with some deep some deeper cuts. Like like hair shirt is a deep cut off of that green album. Um yep. so so that immediately limits it down to like three, probably Heart of Glass, Cult of Personality, and Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. I might go with well, if uh, you know, if I had said "Call Me Al," then I would be going with the, the Graceland thing. I'd probably have to go with "Heart of Glass." That right. one might be the might be the one. Nice, good. Wow. All right, Rush. I I don't think this is too similar, but it's it's pretty darn similar. My last my last situation for you, uh, also based off of album. That's the one I haven't used. So here's the situation, Rush. I know you say music is not your strong suit, so together we are going to make a mixtape. I'm going to give you a few uh, purposes. Specific purposes for which I want you to pick a tune, and it's cool if you know, like, there's repeats or it's all you two or Pearl Jam or or what have you. So there's no pressure other than we'll put together a little album that uh, that maybe you'd want to listen to. Who knows? Okay. So the first one, Rush, is uh, I want your day starter either to ease you in with something you know something mild that's gonna kind of ease you into the day, or to give you some energy as you begin the day. What's your day starter uh, song? 
Uh, it's probably going to be like some song um, off uh, off Rumors. Okay. Uh, I just feel like there's a few that are like kind of uh, you know they're not over the top, um, but they're they're uh, they're getting you going. So what is the what's the first song on uh, on Rumors? I don't know. It really is secondhand news on there. Yeah. Um, let's see. Right, let's go with secondhand news. Okay. Let's go with secondhand news. That that's the that's the first song on rumors, and uh, yeah, I, I think that would be a good one to to need to wake up and get going. Excellent. Um, next one, Rush. You got a juicy movie role. You have a scene where you need to cry pretty damn hard. What song do you want played on the soundtrack during that scene? Oh. Um, Uh, I don't know. Uh, gotta cry. I I I I, I, felt, I liked that silent lucidity by uh, Oh yeah. Uh, Queensrÿche. maybe? I think so. Yeah, nice grab. Nice. <laughs> oh, that would be hot behind just a you weeping scene with in yeah. silent lucidity. Yeah, awesome. All right, Rush. Every day for one year, you have to dance for four minutes to one song. What's the song to get you up and boogieing? Every day for one year. Ooh. Ooh. Is there any song that just takes you over that, like, my grandmother, if you put on Elvis Presley or Glenn Miller, she'd be like, oh, I have to, you know, like, she could be sick, she could be, you know, semi-nude, and she'd be like, I have to dance. And she would get up. Is there anything that just takes over your body? I t- have I told you about the, the rule that I made in college where we, if you put on uh, Burning Down the House and everybody had to come out in the common room and dance? No. Yeah, we did that. My, I think I stole that from my friend Josh Dixon. But uh, when I got to college, I was like, there was a rule that if anybody wanted to, they could go play Burning Down great. the House and everybody had to come into the You might the get room. what you're after. Yeah. But we loved it. But uh, I'm trying to look up the name of this uh, of this song. That, uh, that that is kind of close to that uh, for me, and this just shows you. Like, is it the Talking you know, Heads? Or? No, no, oh, it's okay. not. Um, the one that comes to mind for me, kind of now, is a song called "What You Know" by Two Door Cinema Club. Don't know who wow. told me about that song. Uh, probably Brian Shore, but I, I don't know for sure. But uh, that one, that one always makes that uh, that one gets me uh, gets me excited, happy. Um, you know. Uh, Daft Punk would do that a little bit as okay. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've told the story about my friend Greg Bradman and I uh, going, there's a thing at, at Princeton where there's like 12 eating clubs and you sometimes do the thing called the Prospect 12 where you have a beer in each one of them oh, okay. in a night. And, you know, it's a challenge to make it through the Prospect 12. But we did the Prospect 12 one time where Greg had this Daft Punk before. I had never heard of Daft <laughs> Punk before. This was 1997. And he had this... Uh, Defunk, uh, Daft Punk, Defunk song, just just that, like ten times on a CD, and we and he he went to every single uh, like CD player at each of the clubs and would put that song on, <laughs> and it had this incredible effect, it, it, incredible effect, because when he put it on, every time if the dance floor was empty, people would just start. It was like it was like uh, that scene in the airplane right where the guy crashes into the uh, <laughs> to the jukebox and it starts staying alive and then just everybody starts like dancing and coming out of nowhere to dance and so that would happen 
And if the dance floor was already full, everyone would exit. Is that right? Oh, clear. So it was a it was a status shifter, no matter what. Incredible. It, it, it either way, it the switch either way. It was it was crazy. The next time, because uh, I th- I may have told this here before. The next time Troy's on, I want I'm going to have him tell you the story of me putting on um, Asia. Only time will tell on a jukebox outside of outside of Boston in a, a little bar by the airport. I'll have him tell uh, him tell yeah, that right. story. Well, I, I feel think like that'd be, be funny. Back soon. So <laughs> So, and then, you know, like, I enjoy, like, a Come On Eileen as well. So, but anyway, I'll say that, What You Know by Two Door Cinema. Okay, I will be looking that up. Um, Rush, uh, you have the car car you were talking about earlier. You're tooling down to Atlanta. No one's around late at night. Doing 110 on the highway. What song you want to pop right on the radio? Probably, like, um, right now, it would be, like, uh, maybe, like, something by, like, Marshmallow or something, you know? Okay. my, my friend's kid uh, that goes by the name of Pixelay does like uh, kind of EDM music. So I listen to, you know, his stuff. And now I'm like, you know, if I was kind of cruising like that, I might want something that's a little nice. more uh, upbeat. So I'll say um, uh, Marshmallow and I'll say I'll do Alone by, uh, by Marshmallow. Okay. A couple more, Rush. Um, what song have you thought of during the previous questions but haven't said out loud? Or if there's not one of those, what's the first song that you kind of think of right now? I, I keep wanting to put the Greatest American Hero theme song. Oh, in nice! For a lot of these Scarborough I close a couple of times, and uh, and and I, I was thinking about that a little bit too for um uh for, for the uh, for the very fast driving. Oh, I was nice! Think about the Night Rider theme song. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna answer for you that you do the Joey Scarborough. Believe it or not. And you, um, you will do that for this one. If you take a nap, you're going to set that song to be your alarm as you get up from from the nap. You're gonna you're okay. gonna use that. So here's the last one, Rush. You start a band to play events, um, corporate parties, birthdays, weddings. What's the first song you guys make sure you have in your repertoire for to be able to play at these at these events? I mean, it's uh, it, you're going to hate it, right? It's like our it's our biggest disagreement <laughs> on the show. But, uh, it's going to be don't stop believing. Don't stop believing for me. Like you got to play it at every wedding. Got to play it. it's it's a it's just a it's a great song. By the way, this is how much the pandemic is starting to get to me, TJ. Yeah. I watched Up in the Air. Have you seen Up in the Air with George Clooney? When it first Nick came out. Kendrick? When it first came okay. out, yeah. I, I like that movie. Um, I don't like it as much when I watched it the other day as when I saw it in the theater. I will. I, will I don't that. remember okay. there being too much to it. I don't. I don't quite recall there there being much going on in it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's a fair thing to say. I think it was maybe like got some got some critical acclaim. Anna mm-hmm. Kendrick maybe got a nomination or something. But in any case, it, it's not bad. It's a pretty good movie. Um, but. I had this moment where I was like, man, I really am like the pandemic is getting to me a bit because. They had a scene where uh, uh, it's Vera, whatever her name is, from Farmiga or however you say it. Okay. She's, she's the kind of like like love interest for Clooney and Anna Kendrick. And, you know, and Vera and Clooney, they travel all the time, all the time. That's like their thing. Yep. And so they go to a corporate party, you know, where you have to get like the lanyard with your name okay. on it. And yep. you go in and they have like a, sh- a shitty, you know, free bar and all that. It was looking pretty remember, good to you? 
Was it looking pretty good to you? It, it did. And I remember when I watched that movie the first time being like, oh my God, what a nightmare party. And this time I watched and, and they bring out young MC and he plays Bust a Move and uh-huh. they're all having a blast. And I was like, you know what? That would be. That fun. looks pretty fun. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, well, that's the well. We'll you will finish your mixtape with Young MC Bust a Move just to just to cap it off. I love it. Well, I'm glad that that one got on there. To, <laughs> to be honest, okay, TJ. So the last one, we'll come back to where we started, and that is um, here's the situation. Yeah. you're put onto the uh, Poetry in Motion Society, whereby you have to find poetry in a variety of other uh, of, of other areas. Okay. So a lot of times, people say, you know, Michael Jordan is poetry in motion or something else like that. Yep. And I'm going to have you tell me what you see as poetry in different areas. Okay. But I will start with, if you had to pick, and you can give more than one, but if you had to pick one for poetry in motion, what what might you choose? Um, There are, did you, you watch the TV show Luck, right, Rush? Uh-huh. The, uh, the way they shot, and then the few times I see this in purpose, in, in person, um, and it's usually at the track because I have not many places where I see them run unsaddled and wild. Watching a horse run is looks like it, it's it's just it, it seems to be the perfect match of an animal doing what it was made to do. It it's effortless and gorgeous. So I'll say watching a horse in full in full gallop just run run run. Love it. Great choice. I I agree with you. I'm big. Uh, what, what would you say if they said, all right, now you got to come up with poetry and cooking. Mm-hmm. What is, what is true poetry in the, uh, in the kitchen? Uh, my dad does, and this is what, this is kind of earlier what we was, I was talking about when like, Hey, if you've, if you don't know of a poem that you like, you haven't found the right poet. Like there are poems that are just simple words put together in the most lovely, like, easy fashion there's no none of like t.s Eliot's like you know this part's in greek and then this is a reference that you have to go look up you know like here's just like the right words put in the right order my dad the simple way in which my dad cooks he just makes things taste great and if you ask him what he did to it he said i cooked it slow and i put in some salt and you're like how the hell then does it taste like this because this tastes better than every other version of corned beef has tastes worse than yours um, well, you know, he'd also be like, well, you know, you, 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 you cut it against the buy, you cut it against the grain there and it falls apart and doesn't get straight. You know, like, it's just simple, simple stuff like that. But my dad's cooking is, is gorgeous and entirely like unelaborate and unadorned. It's just wonderful. Love it. Uh, poetry and film. What would you say is the closest that you've seen to, uh, poetry via the film i think i told you amelie frame by frame i wish it would just stop sometimes and i could look at it as a as a painting like i i can't pull a second out of that movie that that i feel like doesn't work or doesn't usually there's something i can be like that's a little force this is a little push this doesn't seem quite right i love that movie frame by frame by frame awesome uh we also we always hear poetry in motion what about poetry in emotion what would you say is, you've seen that would strike you as poetry and emotion? Okay, this is, I think dogs have emotion when they show. When I watch any of those videos where they're like dog reunited with family after a year, or like dog was lost, and then like the moment there's there's often a moment where like the dog doesn't recognize them by sight, but then the smell hits the nose, and you can almost see the like 
holy shit, it's him. And they just like, they just go nuts, crazy yeah. excited and happy. And you can almost always get it down to that half second where you see it dawn on them. Um, that, that second of recognition and happiness is, uh, I'll take. I love it. Um, poetry, this one should, we should hear more about, I think yeah. we don't that often poetry and music. What, what is uh, for you? What is musical poetry? Hmm. Um, there's soul coughing. Um, Mike Dowdy, um, was the, did most of the writing for soul coughing, if not all the writing. And I think he just put together words that sounded really fun near each other. I, I, cause I try and like discern any actual meaning in, in the, in, in the soul coughing songs. And I don't think there is, or, or I think it's more occasional than just like, Oh, you know, uh, Thrilla and Manila sounded really great next to Chinchilla. And it just, it sounds right to the ear. So it's more like kind of like beat poetry or, you know, like bebop kind of poetry. But I would say that I would, I, I always appreciate his, him lyrically. Yeah. And definitely seems like, a, you know, uh, rap lyrics, uh, get a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of talk there too. But, um, I think it's interesting. Uh, just two more here. One is poetry and anger. Poetry and anger, if, if you can find it, if there is poetry and anger um, that comes to mind for you. Yeah, um, this is this is recent, um, but like I there's no anger better for me than righteous anger and how furious people are, um, how, how furious politicians are um, in the light of the Capitol having been stormed that like it happened here. It happened. They were in my office. They were digging through our desks like they were sitting in nancy's chair they they ripped this shit they walked away with a podium i like i like how angry they are and how how much they want you know like how they want it i i agree i want a 9-11 style commission to see how the hell that happened you know like uh, and all that so that's the anger that pops to mind most recently that i that i kind of i kind of like i i i'm digging this righteous anger Good answer. I, I think uh, the one that came to mind for me is just uh, is just watching Will Forte. Like Will Forte is so uh-huh. <laughs> funny at being crazy anger. Yeah. I mean, he, he just like I mean, he just locks in and it's like the vein or pulse or whatever else. And uh, I, I just think that guy can do anger better than and just about anybody. That's uh, great. Ever. That's great. I like from that same cast. Bill Hader cracks me up uh, in just about oh, yeah. everything that that fella that fella does. No, no doubt about it. And I'm not even sure I would say. I just think that is that is the best thing that Will Forte does. Like, yeah. Like Farrell was maybe Will's are just good at it. Yeah. Will right. Farrell was great. Always, you know, was well known for like funny, angry. You know, that's what I mean. It was like to get off the shed. Right. Right. Ground and then. Uh, SNL, which kind of made his career almost like a vibrating, um, almost like a vibe anger to the point of vibrating. Yeah, yep. yeah. But there's a scene I watched a few days ago with uh, Sudeikis and uh, Will Forte, where Will Forte is uh, like a NASA guy, and he just and Sudeikis is like playing like foghorn leghorn for some reason, and uh, he eats like potato chip, and Forte just loses his mind and holds it, holds that level of anger for like, probably 120 seconds. It's incredible. So I'm going to finish with one that this feels very TJ to me. All right. And I'm going to ask you to finish with poetry and poetry. Ah, okay, nice. Uh, if 
if uh, I think one of the first poems that I found on my own that just knocked me out was what lips my lips have kissed and where and why. And it made it made me a fan of Edna St. Vincent Millay. I, I, I her point of view as like an aging someone who's aging out of what they thought was their like attractive time and what is what has been gone. And I was younger when I found it. So it wasn't like it was apropos to where I was in life. It just felt like the point of view was so strong. It was also a very beautiful mix of of very, very normal words and also poetic imagery and some poetic words. It felt accessible, but challenged you just a little bit. It it, it was a, it's also a sonnet. So it's in a, a classic style. But it felt uh, it felt just right. It felt like this is a poem. This is talking right to like a normal person like me and also challenging me to like try and understand something I don't quite get. But it felt like it was a poem doing what a poem should exactly do. Yeah, I love that. that that's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that one a try. And you saying that makes me think a little bit of, of something I did also, you know, one of these like two in the morning, I'm like struggling to fall asleep. And I, I go down a YouTube rabbit hole and I was uh-huh. watching that Orson Welles video that I love, which is where he's really drunk and he's doing oh, yeah. Paul yeah. Masson champagne, you know, there is a California champagne inspired <laughs> by that same French excellence, that video. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I would say 90% of the Orson Welles that I watch is, is, uh, is that <laughs> thing. And, and so there were these other uh, Orson Welles clips, like from the Dick Cavett show, mostly, but I just went into like an hour of watching Orson Welles clips and I was like, man, this guy is incredible. Like that guy was a, a, you know, there's just some people that are just naturally poetic. Mm-hmm. And he even had a section where he was talking about how people use words that are too big. And, and you just realize he was so charismatic and it's just such an incredible character, larger than life type guy, very self-deprecating. And I'm, I, I don't know. I'm sure he had it- many issues. Right. But he, those videos were awesome, and I highly recommend just I, watching that. I mean, depending on when you when you learned who he was or how how he came into your life, like he was a child genius who did, you know, the 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 Ambersons and Citizen Kane, and then you know, and all of that, and then uh, oh, War, War of the Worlds when he was who nineteen or you know twenty years old or whatever, and then for a much later age, he was just like this fat dude who did wine commercials, and you know, like. Right. Oh, and they only know like the drunken Orson Welles rants, but he was, he was a totally different guy depending on where you got on the Orson Welles train. Yeah. He was 26 when he directed Citizen Kane and he had never directed a movie. And he, he said he started and he would, he thought you were, cause he came from theater. So he thought he was supposed to, as the director set the lights and he would just go and set the lights everywhere. And then the cinematographer would come behind him and just change him back. And I'd uh, be like, don't tell Orson. Like, I want to see what he's doing because the, the, the cameraman was like, I want to work on this guy's movie, Citizen Kane. And they were like, why? Who, he's a nobody. He's like, exactly. I want to work with somebody that, that doesn't know yet what not to do. And that ended up being like a big part of Citizen Kane, right? Is he, he did all these things that uh, everybody would have told you, hey, there's a rule that you can't like focus on the background. Right. It's, Insanity. So, well, anyway. next next week, Rush, as our guest, I think we'll have our generation's Orson Welles with, uh, join That's us. Right. Uh, so we'll just leave that little teaser out there until until next week. Uh, we'll thank Nate for doing our producing, Julie for the music, Emily for the artwork. Um, and if you want to write to us at Here's the Situation uh, podcast at gmail.com. Rush, maybe we should start doing this. So I want to remember to mention this to you and maybe 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 the audience will hold us to it. 
Billy Arnett suggested maybe leaving a situation out there for the audience if they want to, I think, answer themselves. Maybe that's a way to have people write to us and we could incorporate those those emails back at some point. So maybe we'll come with like a short situation, you know, a situation that has a shorter answer and leave it out there for the audience to reply. I love it. That's a great idea that we won't do today and we won't do next week. Right. We'll do starting in two weeks. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>